Yes, so class, welcome to Community 101. Uh, as you're well aware, Michelle and I lead the small group ministry here at church, but this is not about small group ministry. So I'm hoping really to share what the Lord, as, as I've been a small group leader and leading this ministry, uh, I'm hoping to share some of the stuff that, you know, God has revealed to me in his word and through study and some books I've read about just what community is in the body of Christ. And it's, it's not small groups. It's not specifically small groups. So I've got a question for you. Who do you look like? Who do your kids look like? Who do your siblings look like? Supposedly I look like my dad. I don't see it, but... I don't either. <laughs> 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 but, uh, you know, maybe you have your mom's eyes or your dad's nose or ears or... You know, some of us resemble our grandparents, right? You see pictures. Uh, I remember my grandma, my grandma Betty, she'd look at the fingers of all of our kids every time they were born. Like, oh, you have fingers like my dad or like your grandpa. You know, she was always obsessed with looking at fingers, you know. But I was actually hoping to uh, look a bit deeper. So who do you look like on the inside? You know, we all have a blueprint with, what we, with which we were made. So let me ask you again, who do you look like, really, on the inside? Tells us in Genesis 1, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So who do you look like? You were created in God's image. You know, his blueprint was stamped on you. And what? Was that blueprint God's image? What, what is God's image? Let's look back a verse. Genesis 1.26, And God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So who is us here? It wasn't just the Father. It's the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity as we call it. You know, a loving father, the sacrificial lamb, the empowering spirit. We were all made in the image of Almighty God. Elohim, you know, as Eric has taught us recently. And what did God say after he created everything? Alger mentioned it this morning. It's good. In fact, when he was done, what did he say? It is very good. But let's read a bit further. Genesis 2. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded to the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will surely die. Verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. God just finished creating everything and said it was very good. It is good. It is good. Now he says what? It is not good. Did you ever ask yourself why? Why did God say it is not good? Why isn't it good for man to be alone? You know, did the Father look over at the Son and the Holy Spirit and say, you know, guys, we're pretty awesome you know, but we didn't quite get it right. Did God make something not right? 
No, absolutely not. God did not make anything not right. We know that. He said, what? It was very good. So, why wasn't this good? Let's go back to verse 26. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. In whose likeness and image? It was the Trinity. And what does that tell us about God? What does this tell us about his aloneness? Was he alone? He wasn't alone. He existed in community. He existed in relationship. His nature, right? His very nature is community and relationship with the Son, with the Holy Spirit, with the Father. So why did he say it wasn't good for man to be alone? Because it violated his nature. He made man in his likeness, and yet man was alone. That wasn't good. So what does that tell us? God created man to be in community and relationship with others. That's the blueprint that was stamped on you. That's who you look like on the inside. You may look like your mom or dad or grandma or grandpa on the outside, but on the inside you were stamped with God's image and his nature, and that nature exists in community and relationship. You were not created to be alone. So what does that tell us? You were created to be in community and relationship with others. And so that's where I want to focus today. Biblical community. If God exists in community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and you were created in that image, in that nature. So we're going to look at the Bible today, and we're going to see where else community and relationship is expressed. So let's start with the, well, the main guy, Jesus, right? That's what the Bible's written all about, it's Jesus. Was he a community, relational kind of guy? I think we could say yes, right? Of course. In fact, you could say, sorry, yes. Yes, in fact, you could say that Jesus had his own small group, right? Twelve guys. You know, I remember Eric Morgan one Sunday night when he shared, or it might have been a Sunday morning, he said, Jesus was perfect and he still needed 12 guys to do God's will. You know, God had a plan to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. It began with a perfect Savior and a 12-person small group. You ever think about that? You know, in fact, I didn't have this in here, but in John, when, when Jesus is praying to the Father, he says, I have completed the mission you have sent me to do. He hadn't been crucified yet. Did you know that? He hadn't been crucified yet, and he said, Father, I've completed the mission. And what was that mission? That mission was to raise up 12 men to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. He needed relationship and community. So all of us that sometimes think we can go it alone, Jesus didn't go it alone. He couldn't do it alone. 
you know, we have something to learn. So I'm not advocating for small groups here. I just want to get the, you know, my intent is not to have all of you guys sign up to be small group leaders after this, but, you know, if you want to, that's not what the message is about. My point is Jesus lived in community. And Jesus even had deeper relationship than the 12, didn't he? He had three best buds, Peter, James, and John. You know, his small inner circle. He was even in close relationship with them. And then what's it say? John was the disciple who Jesus loved. Maybe it was his best friend. John could have been Jesus' best friend. Jesus certainly lived in community and relationship. And after all, it was his nature we were created in, right? Colossians 1.15 says Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. So if it was God's image we were created in, Jesus demonstrated what that image was. Let's continue looking for God's nature, community, and relationship. What about the early church? You know, Jesus was crucified. He was raised from the dead. He ascended to heaven. Then Pentecost happens, right? Tongues of fire, Holy Spirit baptism. Peter gives a tremendous call. Thousands are saved. And then what happened? Church was dismissed. Some people shake hands, pats on the back. Hey, great sermon, Peter. See you next week. Is that what happened? No. What happened? That tells us in Acts 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property, possessions they give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number, the da- to their number daily those who were being saved. You know, have you ever looked at that and really thought, this sounds a lot like Jesus' ministry? Devoted to teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer miracles, people being added as followers. You know, I think the early church modeled themselves after what Jesus did with the 12 disciples. You know, Jesus, Jesus demonstrated life and community and relationship with 12 disciples, and now the early church, led by those very disciples, is doing what Jesus did with his disciples. Is it a coincidence? I don't think so. The twelve were obviously impacted by living in that community with Jesus, and I think they probably exported it to the early church. I don't think they randomly started meeting together. Maybe they did, but I think what's more likely is, you know, it says in the verse, they shared something in common. They all had everything in common. You know, like-minded people tend to gravitate towards the things they have in common. And the early church was united in the truth of the resurrection. So they started living, doing life together. And just to reiterate, what were the results of that living and communion relationship? You know, it says they were in unity. There was all of God, miracles. There were needs being met. They were praising God, favor, daily salvations. You know, it says daily being added to the number. It wasn't once a week after a great sermon on Sunday. It was daily. The early church did life together, daily, together. 
So I think we can agree. You know, we were created for relational community. Jesus demonstrated demonstrated it, and the early church modeled it for us. But what I really want to hit home is this. Let's focus it back on ourselves. What part of this community of believers are you? Are you in this community? I'm not talking about church membership. I'm not talking about, you know, hey, raise your hands if you're saved. You know, I'm not talking about that. I'm asking, are you living in community? Are you sharing your life in community? Just as the early church and Jesus demonstrated that they were involved in relationship. Sorry, just as the early church and Jesus demonstrated, they were involved in relationship with other believers and with unbelievers. But did you know that not only were you stamped with community by the very nature of God, but that you are necessary as well? Let's expand on this a bit. Let's go to Romans 12. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to one another. One of the revelations that that Paul gave the church was this fact that you, me, all believers, we are part of the body of Christ. And he uses this metaphor of the human body, right? We've heard this, I've heard it preached probably hundreds of times in the years I've been in church. Paul says we all belong to each other. What does that mean? Ken, how do you belong to Mike? And Mike, how do you belong to Connie? And Connie, how do you belong to Sarah? You know, let's let's read another passage where Paul expands on this. This is, you know, his famous passage in First Corinthians. It's quite a bit here, but I will read it all. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free. But we've all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that doesn't make it any less a part of the body. If the ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange would it be? If it had only one part, yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can never say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem the weakest and the least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require this special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, 
all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. And if you are together, all of you are together, Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. So let's unpack this a little bit. Now, Paul says the human body has many parts, and the many parts make up one whole body. So when you look at a body, I mean, he makes this clear. What do you see? You see parts, right? Anatomy 101, eyes, noses, ears, legs, heads, shoulders, knees, toes, knees and toes. Good job. The body's made of parts, inside, outside, some hidden from view, right? All the parts make a body. What's the most important part of the body? Is it your brain? Is it your heart? You know, have you ever really thought what's the most important? You know, if you were to walk from here to your car with your eyes closed, would you find that easy? You'd find it easy? <laughs> It'd be hard. You, your feet and your legs need your eyes. Have you ever tried holding a glass of water without your thumbs? You know, I think you'd have to use, you'd have to act like a seal or something, you know, hold it with your flippers, you know. And Paul goes on to describe, you know, other body, other, certain body parts rejecting other parts. You know, if the foot says, I'm not a part of the body, I'm not a hand. That doesn't make it any less a part of the body. If the ear says, I am not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, that doesn't make it less a part. Can an arm exist by itself? No, of course not. All the parts are important. He even says that the parts that seem the weakest or, or least important are actually some of the very parts we treat with the best care. You know, there are certain parts of our body when they're in pain the whole body knows about it, doesn't it? So would I be incorrect if I said your body parts all work together? Right? Your body parts all work together. Are they in relationship with each other? Do they live and exist in community with each other? Yeah, absolutely. Every part of your body is perfectly designed, perfectly and deeply related, working in order, working together in harmony. So if we were to carry on with Paul's metaphor here, he says, just as our individual bodies are made up of hearts, so is the body of Christ. So what are the parts of the body of Christ? Us, right? We are the parts. And if this body is like a physical body, are there any parts of this body that are more important than others? I don't think so, right? Are all the parts needed in the body of Christ? Absolutely. Let me ask you this. If you, if you were to cut off my arm, if I were to cut it off, you know, and just threw it over there and left it be there, what would happen? You know, it would die. Right? That arm would die. You know, can my arm exist and live on its own? Absolutely not. But what about us? Do we really feel that we can disconnect from the body and live on our own? 
outside of the body, free from relationship with others in the body. You know, over the many years that I've read this passage, you know, I've, I've grown up in church since I was, I don't, I probably since I was two or three, I'm guessing. I don't know. I don't remember when I started first going to church. I was a kid. You know, over the many years I've heard this shared, I've always glossed over this fact that we belong to each other. You know, instead, I always read or maybe I interpreted it incorrectly from the pastor was that we're complementary. You know, we're distinct parts. We complement each other. You know, when one thing complements another, it enhances that thing, right? Salt on French fries. They complement each other, right? <laughs> you know? Uh, oh, that color. Michelle, that color complements your eyes. You know, things complement each other. But I don't think that's what Paul's saying. Because you know what? You can't eat French fries without salt. You can. You can. And, you know, your eyes are pretty without that color on. You know. Paul said that we belong to each other, so he's stressing that we actually need each other. Maybe you do need salt with french fries. I don't know. But we aren't just complementary. We are required. The parts are required. They're not just complementary. We are necessary to complete the body of Christ. And in God's master plan, he created you because he needed you. You were stamped with community by the very nature of God, and he made you necessary as well. Perhaps you haven't heard that before. Perhaps you've heard the opposite. But... You are needed and you are necessary. I can't live without you, Alger. I can't live without you, Tammy. Tammy, you can't live without me. You know, we are a body. We are necessary. We belong to each other. I need you. You need me. We need each other, but to what end and for what purpose? You know, Paul points out the purpose. In 1 Corinthians 12, 25, this makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. Harmony among us and the result of that harmony is care for each other. Do you care about others in the body of Christ? Of course, we care for some people. For others, probably not so much, unfortunately. But each and every person in Christ, every part of his body, is necessary. You need them. But I think this is the trap that we fall into. We start to believe that certain others are not necessary. I can do life without that guy. That person, too needy. That person's personality, ugh, so irritating. You know, they offended me. They hurt me. We begin to focus on ourselves and the outward actions of someone else. 
instead of relationship with that person. In fact, what we're actually doing is we start dismembering the body of Christ. And then what? We expect it to live. I'm cutting you off, but eh, go live on your own. You know, it doesn't work that way. We so-called healthy parts, we just start amputating. You know, bitterness then grows, grudges take hold, unforgiveness blossoms. Instead, stop and think, what can I offer in this situation? You know, in short time, you might need their help. The person you just cut off. What has God gifted that other person with? What part of the body are they that you need? We don't think about that when we're looking at the outward actions of some people. You need them as much as you think you might not. But really stop and think. You know, who among this body is looking out for you? Who has your back? Who's watching out for you? When you start slipping and you start going down that wrong path, where life gets cloudy and your outlook gets a bit jaded, who's your lifeline? Who can you call to get some encouragement, some direction or prayer and support. Who's calling you? Because they see you slipping. And don't think it's Tom and Eric. Don't think that's the answer. You know, as great as they are, they can't take care of the entire body by themselves. You know, they aren't some superhero ready to swoop in at a moment's notice. You know, they're not a replacement for your role in this body. We all are care, called to care for the body of Christ. It's in relationships that you will see other parts of the body of Christ. It's in relationship where intimacy grows. It's in relationship that you will have someone else looking out for you as you are looking out for them. You know, when you're in a relationship with others, sometimes it only takes a word to let someone know you care for them. Doesn't it? You know, I grew up in church. I loved church as a boy. And I remember in my teenage years, my zeal started to fade as it does for lots of teenagers. One Sunday, our pastor... Jerry Westerfield, which some of you know. He was also the youth pastor a little bit. He grabbed my arm on the way out of church and he looked at me and he said, where's the old Jeff? He was looking out for me. You know, and I never forgot that moment. It was at that moment that I really started to get serious again about my faith. It only took a few words of someone I was in relationship with to just, you know, kind of bring everything back into focus. But you know, there's probably people in that church or even in this church when Tom or Eric or somebody else wants to bring life back into focus, they're not in relationship and they just brush it off. 
You know, Paul says that all the parts come together in harmony so that all the members care for each other. So how do you care for someone? Now, how does a word influence someone like that? It's relationship, isn't it? You have to be in relationship. And then the second way you care for people is you have to love them. You know, Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was. And he answered very simply, didn't he? He said what? Love God and love your neighbor. Have you really stopped and thought about that? Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Does that imply relationship? It does, doesn't it? Is Jesus commanding relationship? When he says, love your neighbor? I think he is. You know, love requires relationship, doesn't it? And we can't live isolated. You know, in Galatians 6, it says this, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Care for each other, and you'll fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? It's love. It also says this, John 13, 35, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You know, we have to love in a different way than the world loves. In such a way that well, it points them to Jesus. How will you know, sorry, how can we love in such an exceptional way? How can we love in an exceptional way that others will take notice and point to Jesus? No, you're a disciple of Christ. How do we carry someone else's burden if we're not in relationship with them? How will you know, how will you know their burden if our only contact is on a Sunday morning once a week for maybe a few minutes? Maybe none at all if they came late and leave early. How are we going to know? How will you know their burden? How are they going to know your burden? And did you know there are 94 verses in the New Testament? We're not going to go through all of them, okay? I'll just let you know. We'll have to go through all of them. But there's 94 verses in the New Testament that use the term one another. Essentially 94 verses of how to be in relationship with people. One third of them have to do with the church getting along. Now, a lot of these are written by Paul, obviously. But about the church getting along. Tolerate each other. Accept each other. Bear with one another. Don't grumble. Forgive each other. Another third have to do with Loving each other, right? That's a simple one. Another 15% have to do with being humble and putting others first above yourself. Putting others ahead of you. You know, John 17, Jesus prayed this. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that they all may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Again, he's sharing relationship there, right? 
that they might be in us, Father, as you are in me. You know, Jesus' prayer was that all of us would experience meaningful relationships with each other that he and the Father and the Son have always experienced. Not to be alone. Instead, just as you are in me and I am in you. And for what purpose did Jesus want this? It says it there. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. The world will see and believe in Jesus through us. Through us living and loving each other in relationship. So you were created in God's image and his nature. You were created to be in community and relationship with others. You can't live life alone. We can't live life just on Sundays. God created you a unique part, a necessary part of this body. You have something to offer. You are needed. So consider, what do you have to offer? What part are you playing in this body of Christ? How are you going to go deeper in relationship with others and carry out God's plan for his church? Who's someone you can reach out to this week and start a relationship with? You know, here's some possible ways to build a relationship. You know, maybe there's someone in the church that you wanted to get to know. Call them up. Have coffee with them. You know, maybe you have a young family, kind of like me, where you feel like you're treading water day in and day out. You know, invite another family over. Spend some time with them. Build a relationship with them. Of course, there's always small groups. You know, like-minded people focused on growing in Christ and caring for each other. If you're not in one, join one. Build some relationships. Or this, you can ask someone to disciple you. You know, find someone who's a bit farther ahead in their spiritual journey. Ask them to disciple you. Get some accountability in your life. Build a relationship you know, that's what I did. You know, after a few years of being here, I was like, hey, I kind of like this Tom guy. Uh, he kind of has the same personality that I do. I went up to him one day out here in the foyer and I said, hey, Tom, will you disciple me? And he did. He said yes. And it's changed my life. Now, don't everybody go asking Tom unless, I mean, you can try. He's, he's pretty busy. Uh or better yet, how about you invest your life in someone else? Even better. You know, maybe invest yourself in the life of a new or a young believer. You know, mentor a teenager or a new believer. Disciple them, pour into their life. You know, we're focused on the next generation, 
new believers, teens, whatever, someone needs you. And they all need someone looking out for them. Someone they can count on when life gets hard. You know, we've heard of just the culture for teenagers is so hard. You know, we've heard of tragedy. And we can't let that happen. You know, build, invest in somebody. You know, so if there's anything I want you to remember today, there are these things here. It's not good for man to be alone. You were created in God's image. You are needed, a necessary part of the body, and you were created to be in community and relationship with others.